the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Jesse Gestand. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gestand. And feeling real good on this Monday edition of Lifeline. I hope you are as well. A beautiful day, isn't it? Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful day that we have in the Bay Area. We are uh, in the sixth month of the year, June 4th, 2018, and it's a wonderful, wonderful day. Now, I was out last week as well as you were on Memorial Day, simply thanking God for um, our great country uh, and enjoying our liberties and freedoms that we have as a consequence of those who have labored and sacrificed for us. And I hope that you appreciate that as well. One of the benefits we have is that you and I get to talk for two hours unmolested, freedom of speech to declare and talk and discuss responsibly, by the way, those matters that are important to you, important to me, and important to the community as a whole. So let's talk about it today on this Monday edition of Lifeline. The number is one 888 Three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I hope um, I hope you're with me today. I hope you are taking the journey as you're making your way home from work, or if you are at home uh, and you're not watching anything important like the news and uh, something special, that you have dialed in to the Monday edition of Lifeline. And again, Jesse Gistan is your a host for the next two hours, the number one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Love to hear from you. If you're a first time caller uh, and you've never called before, I want to jar your um, spirit, if you will, to give me a call and uh, let me know what's on your mind, what you're thinking about relative to um, what's happening in uh, today's world here in America, um, or what's happening in your own life and walk. You know, we cover the gamut between. Spiritual things and practical things, theology and just life in general, as we would uh, place it under the microscope of the Word of God. And uh, we try to have an edifying, encouraging, directive sort of dialogue on this program. So I've got three lines open, one 888 Ton of stuff going on between the last time I spoke with you and... Um, and and in our time back now, just a ton of stuff. But at the top, I'll just kind of work through some of the more uh, mundane things. The Warriors, our local Warriors, are in the finals. Uh, that wasn't the case the last time we talked. And they have won their second game. And that wasn't the case last time we talked. And did you hear about that knucklehead? Let's Let's just call him that, a knucklehead. Um, I call this dancing can be dangerous. We are closing our women's theology class this Wednesday. Um, and we've dealt with for this semester, the Trinity and me and the whole idea of how to walk with God, dancing with deity. It's been a great series. Some wonderful sisters. We close out this Wednesday. So I'm very sensitive to dan- uh, dancing. Did you see that young uh, FBI, I think, uh, agent? 
celebrating the the Warriors' victory. And at the end of his celebration, I guess there were about 40 or 50 people surrounding him. He did a backflip. He did a backflip. Now, he had to be young because I, I admire anybody that can do a backflip today. I can't do it today. I'd break my back trying to do a backflip. In any event, in his attempt to do a backflip, do you know what happened? His his uh, his his weapon fell out of his back pants on the floor. And that was all right. All he had to do was pick it up carefully. But when he picked it up, the gun went off, shot somebody in the leg. What was interesting about that, you know, uh, fortunately they weren't hurt really bad. But what was interesting about it was he picked up his gun, put it back in the back of his pants. That's already a dangerous thing to do with a weapon that um, was uh, apparently he didn't have the lock on the trigger because it, as soon as he picked it up, it went off. We all saw it. If you didn't see it, go online and look at it. So how do you have a, a weapon? Uh, how do you have a, a, a weapon in your pocket that's ready to discharge and you're doing backflips? And then the young man raised his hands as he was walking away, as if you know, I, I, that ain't me. I'm not. I'm not the one. <laughs> and we all saw that he was the one. Dane, uh, dancing, therefore, can be very dangerous when the government gets involved. <laughs> I, I think everybody else can dance, but FBI, CIA agents, they can't dance. No, no dancing for you, even if you are dancing for uh, the victory of our local team here, the Warriors. No dancing for you. So I'll ask you the question because this is going to be along the lines of some of the other things I want to talk about as well of dumb things that people are doing, and I'm calling them dumb, uh, not being pejorative, but, you know, dumb things are dumb things. And if it is what it is, we definitely want to acknowledge that. Wouldn't you think and say that dancing with a gun in your pocket, a, a pistol in your pocket, a very serious weapon in your pocket, that is uh, not uh, locked, if you will, um, is dangerous, whether you do a backflip or not? Yes, the answer is yes. I know you know that. Um but here's another thing that I've been thinking through. I was as I was watching the uh, the 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 softball championship, the softball tournament heading up to uh, the championship for uh, women's softball, college softball, softball, and uh, really enjoying it. Um, what I heard over the news was that Roseanne Barr had made some really here we go again dumb statements about I guess Muslims and. Um, a couple of other people that she uh, considered riffraffs. I don't know if you heard heard it um, yourself, but it was something really uh, the kind of person that I really suspected or expected to talk like Roseanne would definitely be your people who would live, you know, in flyover country who really do have a real sort of comfortable uh, <clears throat> view of of different ethnic groups being inferior to them. Uh, and very much holding to uh, what we would consider a baseless and groundless conspiracy theories, et cetera, ideas and notions that we know uh, don't have any real basis in uh, historic facts or uh, any kind of fact whatsoever other than it's a trend being held by lots of people like the world being flat, et cetera, all kind of ideas that people are holding. And you're really not going to you're not going to sway them away from it because they basically 
or ideas in a vacuum coming from a place of complete and absolute negativity. You cannot, um, you cannot negate a negation. You cannot negate something that has absolutely no real substantial facts behind it. And even the arguments that they render for it are arguments that are vacuous when you get behind the arguments. So if you heard what she said about Muslims, and then I guess it was one of uh, Donald Trump's uh, one of Donald Trump's, was it Trump's uh, advisors, some African-American woman, uh, it was, I think her last name was Jared or something like that, calling her a monkey. Now, we have heard that a few times, have we not, uh, folks, whether you are black, white, Latino, yellow, green, or orange, we have heard over the years, I mean, probably not only uh, decades, but centuries, the comparison of uh, of black people with monkeys. That would be automatically apes. She was talking about calling her an ape. That would be an automatic, automatic um, disapproval, rejection, hostile opposition to hostile, meaning rhetorically hostile opposition to any kind of language or, or expression or proposition rendered by anyone towards anyone uh, where a group of people would hear it. You'd immediately be abhorrent once you heard it. I think you agree with that. Um, to call a black person an ape on any kind of level, even if you kind of couched it in apish like behavior. Um, and then talking about her also being aligned with the Muslim Brotherhood, Muslim Brotherhood. That may very well be the case that she's aligned with mu- the Muslim Brotherhood. Does that follow that she therefore has the right to be pejoratively um, discriminated against and publicly um, ridiculed in a racist form? But that's not even really the question that I'm getting at. Really what I want to ask you because I began to think through how many times I have heard uh, people who should be responsible making dumb statements or dumb remarks in social media formats. So here are the kind of questions that I want to raise to see if we can get a dialogue and conversation going. Then I got another topic I do want to bring to the table just for consideration. So, you know, I'm getting ready to press this into a little bit more of a biblical framework. Since most of us do use social media. Now, I'll be honest, I don't do Facebook. I don't do uh, any of that kind of stuff that most people do where you're sending pictures and and sending comments. To me, it's totally dangerous. you're, You're opening yourself up for a can of worms. I guarantee you. God knows. And I know. That if you don't ever have that information, you don't have to worry about somebody taking it, attaching a picture or an image of yourself to it, and then putting information down that you didn't say or putting partial information down that you did say. But here's what I want to here's what I want to ask you. Does social media like the uh, of the likes of Facebook and hashtag and all that other stuff that's out there cause less discernment? on what people should be saying publicly. Does social media formats like Facebook and uh, all the other formats, you can can tell me them if you want to when you call. I just want to ask you, have you observed that those kind of formats, which appear to almost be exclusive to you and whoever you want to write to, uh, talk with, engage with, does that format really cause less discernment Uh, on what people should be saying publicly. In other words, you know that people will say things behind closed doors with individuals they think they can say it to, 
about others that may not be in the room. You, you know, we call that what? Gossip. You know that they might be making slanderous or, um, or evil or very grotesquely distorted commentary about an individual with people they think they can share that with, and it won't come back to them. But is it possible that when you consider the trends of how people act on Facebook and these other, other social formats, is it possible that the format itself causes less discernment of what people should say and what people should do. Remember uh, uh, who it was, Anthony Weiner, showing his wiener uh, through the inter- uh, uh, through uh, Facebook or Internet or something a couple, two or three years ago, got caught again doing something of the same, right, of the same thing. You wonder what's going on in the minds of people when they begin to uh, behave uh, on those kind of formats as if one— Maybe only one or two people are watching. Two, that whatever they say will be contained and kept within the framework of the people to whom they are targeting. Three, that they might not push the wrong button and that thing goes completely public. Or four, it goes to someone else altogether. I have a small list of, uh, of people who have done that. I'm thinking about a teacher who went on vacation, female teacher went on vacation to somewhere like the Bahamas, and she takes a picture of herself with two drinks in her hand. And she's, you know, no profanity or nothing, but the way she uh, presented herself in her uh, Facebook photo or um, her her social format was that she was an irresponsible person getting high, drinking, drunk, and partying. And what does she do? She loses her job. And then I remember another article where some employees for Domino's Pizza are in the kitchen working. I'm looking at this article now. And they're preparing food for people, and they're doing nasty things to the food. And they're video recording it and putting it up line. Now, what makes these people think that someone won't see that and then report that to their superiors and get them in trouble? Because... They represent Domino's Pizza. And in fact, that's exactly what happened. Someone saw the post and then turned it into Domino's Pizza. And Domino's Pizza had to do a real cleanup job, if you will, over that. But what would make anyone, young people or old people, say things and do things of that kind of nature? What is it with social media of the format that you and I are looking at today in the 21st century over the last 10, 15 years, uh, particularly that's causing people less discernment of what they should be saying publicly as if they won't give an account for it. What's that all about? What's, what is it all about? Uh, people who have gotten into trouble, uh, voicing opinions in Facebooks. Yeah. I mean, you know, Donald Trump is, is saying whatever he wants to, uh, obviously, but he's really cut it way back to the point where, you know, we don't really get surprised at what he says, but he's, I guess his advisors are helping him to really rein it in. Well, let me give you two or three verses, uh, at least one going to take a break. When I come back, I've got two lines open. Want to press you into this. You know, the proverb says, in the multitude of words, there lacketh not sin. In other words, if you and I think we're free to talk any kind of way we want to, anywhere we want to, you can be sure you're going to transgress. Another text, our Lord said this in Matthew 12, by your words, you will either be what? Justified or what? Condemned. Here's a third one. 
Let your words be few and you will find less personal harm. That's the modification of a proverb that says, a fool uttereth all his mind and he calls for stripes on his back. Is that where we are in our culture today? one 367 Monday edition of Lifeline. Going to take a break, pay some bills. When I come back, I'll chat more with you. Got two lines open. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. All right, we're back. The time is 524 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Two lines open, one 367 I was pressing your thoughts on that because, you know, we, we live in a social media world and, and you and I could very much be impacted by it if we're not careful. And so let's kind of be honest about it. Let's, let's ask some honest questions, you know. Um, are you impacted by social media in a way that you could be um, guilty of either supporting twisted, um, distorted, non-factual data, even folly? I mean, because the proverb says the thought of folly is sin. Could you do? Do you traffic in those mediums where uh, where the where the information is just really uh, non-edifying, just doesn't have any kind of buildup at all? Um, and, and, and for those of you who are just you know coming in with us, I'm talking about Roseanne Barr and her very harsh statement against one of the, um, I guess she's a politician or somewhat, um, and, and I guess she's African-American and, and kind of associating her with um, the Muslim Brotherhood as well as calling her behavior apish. Uh, Roseanne obviously did uh, apologize, but I'm kind of thinking, I so I way too, too late for you to be apologizing. But what is it? That would cause people to think that they can speak on those kinds of formats. By the way, she lost her um, she lost her her series of episodes for the new Roseanne program that was doing very well, by the way. And there you go. I'm asking the question: Why would you jeopardize that kind of reputation, that kind of money, and uh, and potential future fame with your old self? Um, uh, just because you felt like saying something stupid. And, of course, she did admit that it was stupid. It was uh, it was inappropriate. She said everything necessary to uh, clear her, at least in terms of doing the honest thing and admitting that it was stupid because it's going to dog her everywhere she goes now. Uh, she's going to have to live with people speaking out against her, booing her, et cetera, where she goes. But I'm asking you, do you see the danger of that kind of format and its empty sort of uh, temptation-driven capacity? Do you see it? This is why I just don't, I don't go in those formats. I remember years and years and years ago when internet first came, when the uh, computers came out, um, uh, PCs came out, and we had obviously the um, email and uh, I would I would frequent um, email uh, different uh, websites where um, ministry was taking place, and they were dialoguing about different doctrinal things and different theological things. And of course, now you get to get in on it. And of course, you got chat rooms and all that. I never did get into the chat rooms, but I would observe how different camps, particularly in Christianity, whether you are uh, a leftist or a rightist, whether you're not you're an Arminian or a Calvinist, whether or not you are. Uh, liberal, progressive, whether or not you are, you know, this, that, because, you know, we all have these camps, right? And eventually it became evident that in the email format, people really do exercise a great deal less of civility, of, uh, of, um, of respect, 
of, uh, of, of thoughtfulness. Every now and then, I mean, every blue moon, I would run across a group of theologians, a group of guys that really didn't know their stuff and knew how to engage in informal or formal um, uh, arguments and debates so that you could really demonstrate your position, argue and refute um, uh, assertions that would come your way, things of that nature. And it's always a great thing when you can be in those kind of formats. Uh, but most of the time, you have this downgrade of character, downgrade of behavior, downgrade of conduct, because people just somehow think they can say whatever they want to on social media about anyone, anytime, anyway, and it not have consequences. So let me ask you, is it a good thing that Roseanne Barr lost her show? Is it a good thing that there are real consequences that fall out? Is it a good thing that Weiner never really made it into politics? Is it a good thing that others also who have been on social media and gotten caught have been able to suffer some kind of punitive or disciplinary uh, consequences for their actions? Is that a good thing? Or should we just, in the name of free speech, let it all hang out? One triple eight three six seven five three two nine is the number to call. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Here's another topic I do want to ask you about as well. I guess you know there have been shootings going on in our high schools, in our middle schools across the nation. That's bad enough because it seems to be increasing. In fact, I had one of my brothers, Coach, he'll be on next week as we uh, get ready for our um, There's Hope um, football and agility camp again for this June, I think it's 19th, uh, 20th, 20th, yeah, 19th through the 21st. Um, but he was telling me that there was a scare at his own school here locally in the Bay Area. And, and uh, you know, once it starts coming close to home, you begin to have a different view on it. So I'm going to ask you the question, too, now. You know, if you if your kids are in Christian school, because I'm really talking about public schools, but this also might apply to, to, to Christian schools. If we begin to sense that there's a greater danger occurring with young people in middle school and high schools, where they are uh, bringing weapons into the schools, because our schools are free zone societies right now. I mean, you can walk on campus and be fully loaded, as you know, with Columbine. I mean, you can walk on campus and be fully loaded with all sorts of weaponry. You can have grenades. You can have dynamite sticks. You can have uh, multiple uh, uh, guns on you. And technically, no one knows. A child or a group of children, a group of kids could have them in their backpacks and take them right into the class. And now your teachers are extremely vulnerable, are they not? So let me ask you the question. Would a growing society where narcissism and illnesses of all sorts are making people wanting to draw attention to themselves because they are viewed now in themselves as a center of the world, is, is it justified that our schools have gated communities where you have to go through metal detectors to get into the schools. And then also for there to be legitimate, significant, uh, on-present armed guards if the teachers themselves are not armed guards. one 367 I just want to ask you the question. I know that I'm talking largely to a group of people 
who both could care less, and you live in a free society where the notion that everywhere you go, whether it's in the grocery store or whether it's at a sporting event like the Warriors game or a football game, et cetera, et cetera, or if it's at um, even church, and I want to hear from you, do you think that it would be prescient uh, and even um, wise as a sort of um, preventive uh, measure to have uh, a filtering process by which people enter into your facilities uh, and make sure that when they come in and they're sitting in your facility, in your place of work, in your school, in your business, in your churches, because, I mean, our doors are wide open. We we watch people, but we let them come in. And, you know, we generally have a full house and lots of people we don't know. Um, is it is it prescient? Is it wise? In order to make sure that not one person is hurt, not one person, would it be wise to have metal detectors and armed guards about? Or should we just keep going on normally like we're doing until your daughter or my daughter or your son or my son is killed like one of the uh, children of the young men here recently, of, of a parent recently, who has now pushed for legislation by which metal detectors and um, armed guards and, and the, uh, the things of which uh, President Trump has also advocated are starting to take place in different states. I'm asking you Californians, should it happen here in California, the state of the free, the land of the roaming citizen who can go anywhere at any time and very ever, very seldom ever be frisked or checked for weapons? one 367 And what does that indicate when our culture is actually going that way. Again, this is so Orwellian. I've seen movies in my youth many, many years ago uh, and, and, and largely developed by uh, uh, um, more European movie makers where society was filled with cameras everywhere and locked doors and locked gates that were controlled by major computer systems that were elsewhere. In other words, you had to have a code and an ID to get in and get out of society everywhere you went. No more free states. No more free state. What's going on in our society when that is happening? No more free state. You got to have a code to get in, code to get out, code to buy this, code to buy that. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'm going to take a break, and then when I come back, I'll answer your phone calls on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. And we're back. The time five thirty eight on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Let's go to line number three and talk with Diane and El Cerrito. Diane, are you there? Yes, sir. I am, Pastor Jesse. Thank you for taking my call. Yes. What's your question, comment, or observation? Well, my comments and observations about the advisability of having metal detectors in schools, Mm -hmm. I'm for it. I think it's necessary. Mm -hmm. After traveling in the smallest and one of the best democracies in the world that happened to be in the Middle East, I saw metal detectors and people going through backpacks at every possible public venue, from uh, restaurants 
and and churches, synagogues, shopping malls. I think that it's necessary these days. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I don't think it's necessary for for teachers to carry because they they need to teach. They need to do their job. But I'm sure there are some wonderful veterans that would love to be able to come and assist with uh, protection and security in the schools. And I'm sure that could be worked out on a, a county and a state level. But in terms of um, understanding what's going on, as difficult as it is, I think we're all heartbroken over the shootings and the, mm-hmm. the misery that mm-hmm. has happened. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to call it what it is. There's some children and young people that are very angry, right. and that needs to be addressed. There are some people that are very unstable and unbalanced, and that needs to be addressed. And I think that it's a very complex issue, but I think that we can't point the finger in one or two directions and say, well, this should have happened or we should have done that. Rather than get rid of all the guns, I think we need to offer better mental health care and a lot better follow-up in in who gets to buy the guns in the first place. Well, yeah, I I, I agree with you, Diane, on a couple of points. First, one of the reasons why I even brought this up, and I don't know if I'll get uh, many more callers willing to want to respond to this the way you did, and I'm thankful that you did, but I know that you were emboldened to call and to want to uh, share your view on this in the positive of that uh, policy of developing a much more secure uh, context, particularly for schools, because you have been outside of the United States and you have been to countries where this was needed, and particularly in the Middle East. I already know that that's the way in which many of um the the countries there operate, particularly Israel. And and I don't know particularly where you went. Where did you go? I went to Israel. Right. Okay, there's my point. So now um, Israel is living in a context and has been for many, 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 many um, decades, um, if you will, since 1948, and and, and escalating um, after the 60s with um, multitudinous um, attempts of of suicide bombers and attacks, as you know. and and they were driven to have to secure their premises everywhere with this form of protection. Um, when you went, did you feel um, did you feel more apprehensive, or did you simply feel safer? Did you feel like freedoms were lost? Yes, but they were lost um, with good reason, and therefore I am more. Um, inclined to want to have safe measures versus the presumption of, um, you know, well, it might happen, it might not happen, but I, I'd rather, um, uh, you know, endure the possibility of it occurring and maintain my freedom without any kind of discretion or any kind of boundaries, parameters, uh, form of security like we have in America, because we are wide open largely in America. How did that emotionally and psychologically impact you? Well, I think coming from a country where I grew up very secure and felt protected by the police and fire and, and all the grown-ups in my life, as, a, as an adult now and as a Christian believer, I found at first it was surprising how many people were walking around that were in the armed forces in Israel, and all they were they were loaded. They were on patrol right. because they're in a war zone, right. not because they're expecting something to happen and want to kind of make people stand down, but because they're ready for an emergency and they know what to expect. 
the countries around Israel have promised to kill them. Uh And so they take it seriously. Uh And they're looking at history and going, well, we need to be on point. We need to protect our families. We need to secure our borders. We need to do all that we can to preserve life. And they also preserve the lives of their enemies. So when I went to give up my backpack to go into a shopping mall with some friends, Uh I was happy. I said, go ahead. Help yourself. Thank you. Because they were giving everybody safety, and I gave up no rights and no freedoms for that to happen. I think we have to be careful in the discussion that we don't take a a weird tack and say, well, you know, all the people need to turn in their guns. No, they don't. No, they don't. I think people need to handle their weapons responsibly if they're going to have them. They need to store them locked. Um, Probably not dance in public with them on, as you pointed out. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's important to realize that it's not an either-or situation. There are churches in the South Bay that have people on staff that are carrying of course field carry weapons in the east bay too i can tell you for a fact in the east bay here too for a reason right people don't want their congregation shot up and unfortunately those measures have to be taken but it's not in your face right right and so i know i your your whole your observations are very um well taken um diane and clear and and um I, you know, where let's say where we are in our country is we are kind of on the precipice of those choices because we're not quite in a war zone scenario, as is the case for Israel. And I'm wondering how are we going to handle the profound imposition of politics that has an uncanny ability to paralyze good policy um, by the kind of dialectical argumentation that keeps people polarized, because you, you you stated it uh, a couple of times as you developed your 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 um, your observations that we don't want to be arguing in extremes. We don't want to be arguing straw men. We don't want to be arguing. There's only one solution needed: take all the guns away. That's not going to happen. Uh, in the process of even trying to take the guns away, we're going to violate laws. We're going to create uh, more problems to just go around and try to take the guns. And yet I also know that this is an Ors- Orson uh, Wells, an Orwellian uh, uh, sort of vision of the future of, of guns being taken away because that's kind of what an extreme uh, liberal uh, viewpoint is. And that's why every time something bad happens or occurs in terms of school shootings, what have you, are shootings, period. The whole notion on the news is we got to get rid of the guns. And so we got the young people from the uh, previous school shooting uh, in Florida traveling across the country campaigning to take away guns, right? Um, Well, somebody's paying for those plane tickets and somebody is driving the kids around and somebody is, I think, taking advantage of their, their goodness and their black and white thinking, which is very common for someone who is, I'll, I'll put it carefully, under 30, because it's, it's not an easy answer. And people who have lived longer, my father was a World War II veteran. I'm, I'm trained in the medical field, and I understand a few things, also sure. being a grandmother. Sure. But I, I see that there's a big need for things to be right. Yep. And I've never outgrown that need for things to be right in my world. 
So I really relate to what's going on with the kids. They're frightened. They want things to be right. They don't feel like the grown-ups are taking good enough care and handling the the um, emergencies and the, the potential difficulties and crises. And they're also traumatized from what happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think we need to get up out of our comfy seats and our comfy lives and help those people and reach out, even if we don't have all the answers. Sometimes Christians are very loath to get involved because we don't understand the whole problem, or we think that it's not Christian to be political, or somehow if we don't have the solution, we don't have the right to be in the discussion. Well, we need to be in the discussion because there's a vacuum that's left when we will not be there. And we've seen what what happens? People that have agendas will get in the discussion, and they'll start their undue influence, and we start losing freedoms, and we start losing things in our culture that we've taken for granted as being there and wholesome and always will be there. And we've got a crumbling culture now, and we've got more problems than we can solve. So I think it's important to be prayed up and involved and gracious. You know, because in a discussion, you listen as well as discuss. And I think it's important to develop those skills and go ahead out there and, and let God use us where he will. I agree with you totally. Thank you for the call. I've got to take a break. When I come back, we'll close out with a couple of callers. Uh, very, very informed uh, caller there. I'd love to hear from others. one 367 5329 Thank you, Diane. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. All right, we're back. This segment is almost over. Let's go to line number three and talk with Kiana in San Leandro. Kiana, are you there? Kiana? Hi, Pastor Jesse. How are you? Fine. I was calling to comment about um, whether they should have security and armed guards and metal detectors in schools. It's like they don't really have a choice at this point because too many of the wrong people are getting access to weapons and killing people whether it's their (laughs) whether it's their own weapon or a weapon that they got from their parents or somebody else okay and nobody wants to get a call that says that their kid has been murdered because somebody was angry or has mental health issues Mm -hmm. so you're happening too much so your your view is in the affirmative it would minimize the potential for that occurring if our schools were um, a lot more secure by way of um, funneling the students through a uh, metal detector process as well as um, armed guards on the premises just because um, one soul, one person, one life is worth all of that effort, right? Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent. I mean, no, what do you mean certain extent? Come on now, what do you- what do you mean, certain extent? Either I mean, either, things is, are going to happen, though. I mean, they can have that, but things are going to happen. But it probably would be like the less the likelihood would be a lot lower because people will be like, okay, well, maybe I shouldn't do this because there's armed guards on site. Right. So one of what I'm trying to do, yeah, what I'm trying to do in this conversation, I'm going to push it over to the next hour because we really do have to think biblically. Let's press down into a little bit more of a uh, of a theological worldview um, premise for the yay or the nay. Um, Diane was talking earlier. Did you catch Diane's uh, um, her comments on it? Yeah, I did. 
she had been in the Middle East, and right. that was normal for them. Right. Right. And so one of the things that I'm trying to discuss with the, with this on the program, because I, I kind of see us going that way. I see it, really. Um, and, and largely it's because of what you said and what she said and what I know. Um, uh, lots of guns out there. You know, granted, it doesn't have to be a gun. It could be a knife. Um, but we do have people who are not behaving in a way where they respect humanity, they do want to hurt people. As Diane said, we've got a lot of kids with mental issues or anger issues or what have you. And when they begin to recognize their power and ability to um, voice themselves, even in um, hostile ways, they are going to do that. We've always had that occurring um, period in, in our country, and now it's escalating. And what you're saying is it seems inevitable. And because of that, we might as well go ahead on and begin instituting instituting measures to begin to try to curtail that. And I'm saying I'm for that, but my basis for it is this. Um, when I see a society like ours losing its mores, losing its ethical and spiritual and moral values, losing its ability to reason and and, and uh, rationale what's right for uh, society at large. When I see politicians unable to make what I consider prudent and wise decisions around what are really important issues, and, and then they are, are making unwise decisions in other areas that are affecting our children, i.e., Public schools are really um, educational centers for uh, for families. And yet if our families are devastated and broken and troubled and dealing with addiction, even, you know, legitimate pharmaceutical drugs with mom and dad, and then the children are getting a hold of them, or our children are dealing with homes where there's massive trauma, massive pain, massive abuse, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, quite naturally, that element is going to make it way make its way into the body politic of a school context as you and I grew up in school you know we always were around people that we knew that were a little bit troubled you remember those people just a little bit troubled and today with social media as i was talking about in my first segment which i'll get back to in the second segment uh social media uh gives people opportunity to copycat because it's blown up it's everywhere it's on your phone it's on your iPads on your computers on your television and so um uh it's it seems like what we have to consider is the value of human beings the worth of human beings uh, the rights to protect our little ones and young ones when they have to be in a larger social context such as school um, and the responsibility of adults, as Diane said, parents uh, dealing with that uh, prospect wisely and prudently so that we can create a safer environment for our kids to actually navigate and negotiate what we know is necessary. And that is an educational system and process by which they can be um, educated to be responsible adults. It's almost inevitable, like you said. Yeah, nowhere around it, but then at the same time. Like, a lot of this stuff wasn't happening at the rate that it's happening now. Because when they took prayer out of schools, it was just basically it was a wrap. So, you know, um, I you, was like, okay, you know. Right. So this is where. Taking prayer out of schools, too. It, it, it started going all the way back to that and then coming forward. Because, you know, a lot, of stuff, a lot of stuff was happening. And then when they decided to take prayer out of schools and, 
you know, separating um, people's religious beliefs and trying to say that, oh, well, you can't pray and you can't do this in school and this and this and this and this and this, you know, that opens the door for the devil to come in and just do whatever. Right. That's going to be an argument and discussion and debate. Certainly that will be brought to the floor. Don't know how well it's going to fly with our fellow citizens who are not believers in anything but agnostics and, and atheists, et cetera, who are unfortunately governing the public school systems. There's, there's no doubt about that, that they definitely wanted that dialogue out of the conversation uh, in the White House and in the schoolhouse. And um, and and many Christians would uh, advocate that very consequential consequential judgment that you are enunciating right there, Kiana. That you know, if you are not going to ask for God's protection on our kids publicly when we're gathered together, if you're not going to ask for God's uh, providence, not for his wisdom to um, help get these kids through the school system, then, yeah, you're, you're, you're like a, a person in a war that doesn't have armor on. We will have to try to find a way to make that argument in a number of uh, situations culturally uh, uh, and socially in order to uh, demonstrate that a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview, um, mandates us recognizing that we're not going to solve this problem without God. There's no doubt about it. Listen, exactly. thank Because everybody running around here like they they don't need God, and that's just a bad way to be. And I just pray that I never be in that space because that's a bad space to be in. Well, we're in that space. We live in the space. Yeah, Our... We live in that space, but I mean, we know that we can pray and rely on God and seek Him for that for the protection that we need for our children and all things concerning our lives. And then the people that don't. Well, but here, see, that's where the slippery slope comes in. See, so um, Columbine was a public school, just like any public school that your kids or my kids or I went to. And certainly my kids went to public school. And yet in Columbine, there was a, a Christian girl, um, I forget her name, very valiant young Christian girl who faced her killer and uh, and told her killer that she was a believer in Jesus. Um, Kelly, is it Kelly? Somebody will uh, remind me of the name shortly. And uh, she was she was very well known, movie made after her and everything, uh, because she stood and faced her killer and told her killer there was a God and he had hostility towards God. And yet she was in that public school setting. So we want to be careful not to assume and assert that just because we can pray that our kids won't be in that danger when they are in the school and won't be the ones that are shot in that school. This is where we want to hold in tandem prayer with good public policies. So our prayers have to translate into dialogue, into conversation, into winning debates in a righteous and a just and civil way so that policies can be affected that would protect not only our kids simply because we're believers, but everybody else's kids. That's the way we would want to do it so we can remain salt and light. Listen, thank you for the call. Good to hear from you again. Got to take a break. When I come back, I've got two people on the line, three people on the line. A couple of lines open, no one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. If you want to get in on the conversation, we are talking about whether or not it's gonna be inevitable 
or whether or not it's prudent that we should have facilities, our schools uh, guarded and uh, metal detectors and funneling processes by which we can protect our kids from um, uh, evil and entities that want to come in and wreak uh, physical destruction and havoc upon our children. And what does that mean? And where is that going? And what does that imply concerning our country at the present time? Let's talk about it. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host, Jesse Gistin. I'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.